Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and happy Friday. What a busy week it was, and Friday was no difference. We woke up this morning, and just the news broke the story that a federal judge in Florida had thrown out, rejected the lawsuit that former President Trump filed against Hillary Clinton and all of her cohorts in the FBI, alleging that they colluded together to concoct the false Russia collusion narrative in an attempt to beat him in the election and to tarnished the beginning of his presidency. That lawsuit has been thrown out. It wasn't just thrown out, it was repudiated. The judge went to enormous lengths to chastise the president and his lawyers for a lawsuit he said was frivolous, not grounded in law, unnecessarily wordy. I'll give you just one quote that you can see on the site at justinews.com. We've got all the coverage there. The judge, U.S. District Judge, Donald Middlebrooks, by the way, appointed by Bill Clinton, all right, so a Democrat appointee with ties to Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, wrote, plaintiff's complaint is neither short nor plain, and it certainly does not establish that plaintiff is entitled to any relief. More troubling, the claims presented in the complaint are not warranted under existing law. In fact, they are foreclosed by existing precedent, including decisions of the United States Supreme Court. That's a slapdown. That is a repudiation. The judge even cited Trump for his audacity of legal theories and the manner in which they clearly contravene binding case law. This was a very personal slap down by this judge. Now, this judge is just one person. We'll see if this gets reversed on appeal, if it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And it's also important to note that Donald Middlebrooks, the judge in his mid-70s now, back in the 1990s and early 2000s, he was the judge that ruled against George W. Bush in the hanging election of Florida, the the historic case, Bush v. Gore, and he was reversed by the United States Supreme Court. So he lost one of the most famous rulings in his career, reversed at the Supreme Court. We'll see what happens, but it is a very powerful ruling, a very strong repudiation of the lawsuit, not just a rejection. 
And a lot of people will be following that today. We're going to turn our attention. We've been covering Mar-a-Lago. We've been covering Russia. We've been covering Queen Elizabeth II, the passing one of America's and the world's greatest heroes. But today I want to begin the process of commemorating the 21st anniversary of September 11th. 21 years ago, this Sunday, terrorist hijackers who crossed our border taking advantage of loose visa rules hijacked four planes, crashing two into the towers, one into the Pentagon, and the last was on its way to a destination in Washington. Most people believe it was the Capitol when the brave passengers of United Flight 93 wrestled control of the plane and crashed it into the ground to keep it from killing more people. That is the sort of heroes that were born that day. That was the sort of greatness that America displayed that day in the face of the most heinous evil one could imagine, flying planes into buildings and killing mass numbers of people. We lost about 3,000 people that day when you take Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the Pentagon, and the Twin Towers in Washington, D.C., Every year since then, our resolve to fight terrorism, our capabilities to fight threats to the homeland has grown, improved, and we've thwarted so many attacks, countless attacks. Yeah, some get through too. There are bad actors that get through, but our progress has been regular and routine, except for the last year. This is the first time since the aftermath of 9-11 where I have law enforcement and intelligence officials and security officials saying we've taken a step backwards, taken a step backwards. That is a powerful, powerful statement. The first presidency for which I can remember anyone saying we're going backwards in the war on terror. Yes, the withdrawal from Afghanistan in August 2021 had a profound effect. But you're hearing the assessments of the intelligence community that Afghanistan's become a safe haven again for al-Qaeda. That's why al-Zawari felt comfortable enough sunbathing out in the deck in Kabul. But these sentiments, which are, by the way, driven by intelligence data, by security assessments, are one of the most troubling legacies of the first 18 to 20 months of this Biden presidency, Joe Biden's presidency, a stark difference from the Trump years. And uh, one, just one great example, the Homeland Security Department ICE, I believe it was, or uh, CPB, Customs Border Patrol, reported recently that a total of 83 people with known terrorist ties, meaning they were flagged in the databases of the United States for terrorism, have crossed the border and been interdicted under President Biden. That's three times, and that's in the first 18 months, just three times the number for the entire Trump presidency. Bad guys are trying to get into this country. They are getting into this country. And we don't know which ones got away, but that is why. This is one little teeny tidbit of why the intelligence law enforcement community, the Homeland Security apparatus, feels like the last year has been the first year where we took a step backwards in the fight against terrorism. And I have the perfect first guest today. We're going to bring in Christopher Miller, the former acting defense secretary, the last defense secretary for President Donald Trump. He's going to join us today. He has a lot to say, but we're going to focus on his service he fought in the wars that followed 9-11 as a soldier, as a military commander, and then as a civilian, he oversaw the Pentagon's leadership, including before he became acting defense secretary, he was the head of the counterterrorism center, one of the most important tools in the fight against Islamic extremism and jihad terror. So we're going to have him for the most of the whole show, and then we're going to finish up with a brief remembrance 
of the extraordinary woman, the extraordinary leader, the extraordinary public servant we all knew as Queen Elizabeth II. Andrew Davies, one of Just the News' correspondents from London, is going to join us to give us his reflections and remembrances and tell us what's really going on in the aftermath of the Queen's passing yesterday, the transition to a new monarch, King Charles III, formerly Prince Charles. Yes, that Prince Charles, the one with Diana and Camilla and sons are William and Harry. So there is much to talk about this special 9-11 edition. And we want to tell you on Sunday, we're going to have a full special. Rudy Giuliani, Bernie Carrick, former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf, all going to be here. We're going to have a great show. And also, I think one of the people who epitomizes how America rose to the occasion, extraordinarily rose to the occasion. Frank Siller is the founder and head of the Tunnels to Towers Foundation is going to join us. His brother, Stephen, NYFD, NY Fire Department, firefighter, had just gotten off duty that bright sunny morning of September 11, 2001, when the alarms went off. He was off duty. He did not need to come back to work, but he did. And he did it in the most dramatic of fashions. He tried to get across the tunnel from where he lived. The tunnel was closed for security reasons. He grabbed a 60-pound pack of gear, threw it over his back, ran through a two-mile tunnel, then all the way up the steps of the South Tower to join his comrades where he died when the tower collapsed. But heroism of Stephen Sillers is what typifies the greatness we saw that day, just like my neighbor Vic Padami, who ran into the burning Pentagon to rescue people or the extraordinary men and women on Flight 93, United Flight 93, that took the plane down and killed themselves rather than let that plane kill large numbers of others in the U.S. Capitol or somewhere else. That's the sort of greatness. But then Frank comes behind his brother's greatness, and he creates one of the greatest charities in modern American history, hundreds of millions of dollars now going towards helping the families of 9-11, the Soldiers who fought in the war on terror, the men and women of blue who are wounded or killed in the line of duty and police work. Frank Sillers, Stephen Sillers, boy, anytime you want to get depressed about America, just remember there are great people like them. If you want to say something about that, if you want to make a statement to say, I want to be like Frank Sillers, I want to be like Stephen Sillers, I want to be like the 7,000 plus members of our military that gave their lives in the war on terror, you can do something real simple. Go to Tunnel to Towers Foundation right now. It's t2t.org, T, the number two, T, tunnelstotower.org, and make a commitment. I spend $11 a month donating that. It's a small, tiny statement, but if you did that and everyone else on this show did that, you know what happened? You'd see a massive growth in the ability of that foundation to help the men and women of blue, the men and women of green, the families of 9-11. Frank Siller, Stephen Siller are American heroes extraordinaire. If you want to support them, do that today. It's a great way to celebrate the 21st anniversary of 9-11, one of the most somber, painful days in American history. And yes, the reason we're doing this show, the reason Frank Siller created the foundation, the reason why we'll have a Sunday special is we can never forget, never, we can never forget what happened 9-11. We cannot let that history for a moment slip from our mind or the caution, preparation, and determination we found after 9-11 to protect this country from future attacks. It can't slip from us. It can't. You can't let it happen. And you can be a little part of that by giving a donation to the Tunnel of the Towers Foundation, t2t.org. 
I donate, match my donation and make those dollars go forward in a big way. One last thought. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have an extraordinary interview with former Defense Secretary Christopher Miller. But before we get to that, just real quickly, I wanted to remind, just tell my remembrances of 9-11. I was a senior reporter at the Associated Press in Washington, D.C. In the four or five days before 9-11, actually the week before 9-11 occurred, I was on the front pages of the news across this country because the Bush administration and its Justice Department and its FBI under the direction of Robert Mueller illegally seized my phone and mail records as a reporter trying to unmask my sources. And I was on the front pages of the newspaper. It was one of the largest assaults on free speech and a free press that had occurred up to that point. The Washington Post and the New York Times and so many others were covering it. We were outraged at AP and fighting it. We ultimately won an apology and a return of my records years later. But going into the morning of 9-11, I was talking to a great lawyer, Republican lawyer by the name of Barbara Olson. Her husband, Ted Olson, was the Solicitor General for President Bush, an accomplished lawyer. They were a powerhouse team in Republican politics, Republican lawyers. And Barbara had been a very accomplished investigator in Capitol Hill. And she had come to my age. She was outraged that her own Republican administration, the Bush administration, would attack me and my right to free speech and my right to a free press. And she was helping me. And we were talking on the phone even that morning. Then she got on the American Airlines flight from Dulles on its way to L.A. to meet Ted, her husband, where she was going to celebrate his birthday and surprise him out in California. Ted went all the way back to the Reagan years as a servant in the Reagan Justice Department. She died on that plane. She flew right over my head. I just had crossed past the Pentagon on the way to the Memorial Bridge. I was already reporting on the New York Tower attacks on the little tiny cell phone that I had, a little flip phone. I had just crossed past the Pentagon where the plane would strike. I had just gotten to the foot of the Memorial Bridge where you could see the Pentagon. And then I heard a thunderous explosion and I saw a fireball go up behind. I got on my car quickly and took a couple of pictures of the fireball, the Pentagon, clearly realizing something bad had happened, not knowing what it was yet. Later, I would learn it was Barbara's plane that crashed in there. I took a couple flip cell phone photos and then went to work to keep working on this extraordinary attack on America, one of the darkest days, our generation's Pearl Harbor. And for 36 straight hours, we didn't take a break at AP. We broke lots of stories. And I was the first person to call and confirm with Ted Olson that Barbara, my friend, his wife, had died on that plane when it smashed into the Pentagon, about three, 400 yards beyond where I had just passed. My life was changed forever as a reporter. I did some award-winning reporting on 9-11 and the failures of the Bush and Clinton administrations to recognize the plot that was unfolding, even though they had the evidence, they had not connected the dots, won some many awards, and really became a 20-year committed journalist to never stop reporting on the threat of Islamic fundamentalism, of jihad, of terrorism, of an open border, or a lax security And it changed my career. I will not stop reporting on it until I put my typewriter, my pen, my computer down and retire, because it's a story that we can get complacent on. Every year that passes, maybe the memory is a little bit more chill, more distant. We can't let it become distant. Our need to be vigilant, to be on offense, to be proactive is essential. And as I said to you, and as you're going to hear in a few minutes, I believe, And when I speak with 
former Defense Secretary Christopher Miller, it is the first year, 2022 is the first year that most of our security and law enforcement experts believe we took a step back from that vigilance. And on this 21st anniversary weekend of 9-11, we can't let that happen. It is our duty to not let the backsliding continue, to stand up as Americans, as patriots. Forget the Republican-Democrat divide, the liberal-conservative fighting. None of that matters as much as us sticking together and not losing our resolve to beat back, hate to beat back the fundamentalism that drove 19 men, most of them from Saudi Arabia, under the spell of Osama bin Laden and Ayman al-Zawari, the mastermind, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, under their spell, they turned the great airliners that move us across this country on vacation and on business into lethal weapons that took down the towers, blew up the Pentagon, and crashed into a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. So if you want to do something, you can clearly can contribute to Tunnels to Towers. If you want to do something even bigger, reach out to your member of Congress, reach out to your local law enforcement, let them know we have not forgotten. We will never forget, and we will not allow government or agencies or politics or politicians to backslide from the offensive posture that we finally learned to take after 9-11. That is the biggest message you and your friends and your family and your neighbors can share this holiday weekend. All right, folks, it's a blessing. Thank you for joining. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back up first, Defense Secretary Christopher Miller, then my great colleague from Just the News, Andrew Davies from London, on the legacy of Queen Elizabeth II and the transition to a brand new monarch. Yes, we used to know him as Prince Charles. Now he's King Charles III. We're going to cover both of that right after these messages. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, 
accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest is an American hero, former acting secretary of the Defense Department, a brave soldier before that. And I think one of the sages voices when it comes to national security policy in America. Joining me right now, the former Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller. Chris, great to have you on the show, sir. John, thank you, sir. And I can say definitively and without hesitation, I'm none of those things that you described me as. I was just a, a guy who's trying to do his job and was really blessed to be able to serve my country in uniform for, geez, I can't even keep up for how many years, but thanks for that. Well, we're blessed that you served our country. That's one of the things I do know. I've met so many people who know the the contributions you've made to this country and they hold you in the highest regard, which is is a really amazing thing to have accomplished in your career. Um, We're on the 21st anniversary. Sunday will be the 21st anniversary of that horrible day, 9-11. We've come a long way. We have an infrastructure in America that is is now built to fight terrorism. But it seems as though the last year has been a step backwards, particularly in terms of Afghanistan being a safe haven for the really bad guys. Your assessment as we head into this uh, solemn weekend. Uh, It's such a solemn weekend. You, You just nailed it. Gosh, 21 years ago, and John, remember how the country came together? Uh, was you, I, I think we forget that sometimes. That it was so, it was such a tragedy, and it was so emotional. But man, I'm I'm trying to remember the good because after this last year, where uh, we lost the war in Afghanistan and we lost 13 heroes, and and uh, to see Afghanistan become a sanctuary again uh, is just kind of kind of hard to hard to stomach right now to tell you the truth man yeah it, it really is and when you look at the assessments and this is something you had an orderly plan to make sure that the one thing we gained in the 20 years of war driving out uh the safe haven for al-qaeda isis and others that that wouldn't be lost biden scrapped the plan how much uh safety do the bad guys, the terrorists, the ISIS-K, the uh, Al-Qaeda folks have in Afghanistan compared to, let's say, 15 months ago? Well, it seems like they have unhindered access right now. I mean, we saw bin Laden's replacement was killed in a brilliant strike. I mean, uh, credit goes to those that are still fighting the war on terror, and they did a remarkable job. But the fact that bin Laden's replacement was sitting in downtown uh, Kabul you know, being protected by the Taliban and Taqanis who support them as well for, I think, what the reports are. He kind of showed up in April and we finally killed him. And uh, thank goodness, great, great operation. But that's really troubling, right? The one one lesson we learned, John, of this last doggone war was you can't let these terrorists have sanctuary. You can't let them have a place where they can plan and train and rest and and it uh, looks like a uh, pretty bad, pretty bad indicator if uh, the doggone head of Al Qaeda was living in a, a guest house of the Taliban. Yeah, and sun, sun, sunning himself on the deck. I guess he didn't feel too, uh, too uh, pressured to be moving or be undercover, which really, really jumps out at us. 
Um, you have had the pleasure both in civilian life and in your military service to serve alongside those families that have had to pay enormous sacrifices, whether it's a grievous injury or the ultimate sacrifice of, of being killed in the, in the defense of your country. What do those families that have endured the 20 years of war that followed 9-11 still need from their government, still need from all of us, their fellow citizens in this country? Well, that's a great question, man. You don't you don't ask easy questions, John. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, no, it's all right, man. It's really thought provoking. Uh, I'll tell you, I had this really interesting interaction with a Vietnam War veteran a while ago, and he said, "Chris, the time to be concerned is not right now. The time to be concerned is twenty years from now." Uh, when you all, when veterans are older and a lot of these things are going to come back, the physical ailments and the emotional injury is going to come back. And I get the feeling, I, I, I'm going to give a shout out. I know you're, in, you're not going to like this. Your viewers are going to, be, or your listeners are going to be coming in and sending nasty grams. I really admire the fact that the Veterans Administration, the Biden administration at long last has recognized those that have been injured by toxic waste. Yeah, the, it's the a big moment, isn't call it? Them. It's a big moment. And I got to tell you know, props to him for getting that through. I, we did a lot of work on that as well. As a matter of fact, the last thing President Trump signed uh, w before he left office was an executive order directing the Veterans Administration and the Department of Defense to move more rapidly on getting those veterans that were exposed to those toxic chemicals the help they need. So I was really glad to be a very small part of that. But I want to give credit to uh, uh, the Biden administration for getting that through. But I'll tell you something. I am a little hurt that Jon Stewart had to go be the one to shame Congress into doing the right thing on that. He did. And he was relentless. Yeah. He was relentless, man. I, it was good for him. Uh, really did the right thing. And that, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make is that when we have to rely on Jon Stewart and celebrities to go force Congress to do the things that they should be doing for veterans, I think it's very troubling, and I'm, I'm bothered by that. And as the war passes, I think you might have seen the Department of Defense soldiers, when they serve overseas in a combat zone, receive a ribbon. Uh, it's called the National Defense Service Ribbon, and it means that your nation's at war. As a matter of fact, as soon as you show up, if you volunteer to serve in the military, as soon as you show up and you're sworn in, you receive this ribbon that shows that you have volunteered to serve your country at a time of war. Uh, that ribbon will no longer be uh, awarded soon. And that is a great thing for our country, right? That we're not at, at war right now, but by the same token, that's an indicator. It's cautionary for me because I'm worried that we're going to start forgetting about this, the wars and, and the sacrifice that our veterans gave and more particularly the families. And it's a canary in a coal mine. Uh, John, you can see how they, the government treats Gold Star families. Gold Star families are those that lost a loved one in the line of duty. And that's where you pay attention. And I'm telling you, you mark my words, the, uh, the doggone resources that are going towards those programs will start drying up soon. And that's, when, that's what really worries me. We need to step into that void. We, in fact, we can't let that void happen. I mean, there are already uh, lots of veterans on the street with homelessness and uh, we can't we can't let that void occur because it will worsen a situation quickly. You um, I, I kept this for a long time ago, uh, but two years ago, as we were approaching the 19th anniversary of uh, the 9-11 um, 
uh, tragedy, you wrote a really powerful op-ed about winding down the war, what the priorities had to be. And the final paragraph has resonated with me all these years. It, uh, the last couple of years, I've kept this in mind because you had the right objective in the end this year. You, I'm going to just read that last paragraph. I don't know if you remember, it was in the Washington Post, but you wrote, Al-Qaeda misgaged the United States' enormous resolve and fortitude. We did not seek or desire the war the terror started, but we will end the war on our terms. Other individual groups who want to harm Americans should study our war against Al-Qaeda. We will pursue terrorists to the ends of the earth, never stopping until the job is done. You guys had a plan to end the war on our terms. It seems like Joe Biden decided to end the war on the Taliban's terms. How did that happen? Thanks for remembering that art, that op-ed. And John, you realize in most government officials, they have a, a ghostwriter. They have like a, so, somebody write the article for them. I wrote that article. I could tell. It's your, it's your voice. You know it right away. The second you read it, I can hear your voice. <laughs> it, 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 was, it, was from, it was from the heart, you know, and I sat late at night doing that because I did have a draft that just completely missed it. And I wrote it myself. And, uh, you know, I, Al-Qaeda attacked us and, you know, they thought we were going to be weak and we were going to roll over. And how many times have we heard that from our enemies where they, oh, you know, the Americans are soft and they saw they saw the power of America and the in the war. You brought it up a couple of times and I'm, tr- I'm trying not to be like uh, crying over spilt milk, but our plan uh, that that a lot of people uh, on the left and in the Democratic Party refused to acknowledge was that we were going to wind that war down responsibly. And the goal and what we were going to do was we were going to maintain a small presence there in Afghanistan where our special operators, our counterterrorist forces, and our intelligence professionals could maintain awareness of what was going on in that country. And if something, if uh, Al-Qaeda or another group that had international terrorist ambitions cropped up, we'd attack them right there. Because like I said, we learned you can't have sanctuary. And uh, it's been forgotten, frankly, by a lot of what's going on now. But uh, you you just, it didn't have to end that way. Uh, I'll say that to my dying breath. And we just showed profound weakness in the way we, I want to be clear, the the men and women that served over there and brought out 125,000 refugees and American citizens and others uh, deserve a huge debt of gratitude, but their leadership let them down on that one. Their leadership at the senior level of the Pentagon, at the National Security Council and the Oval Office completely let them down. And uh, I would just hope, gosh darn it, can we just learn some lessons from this? Let's let's not learn this one again, John. That's, that's my goal. Yeah, no, it's so amazing. You know, uh, it hasn't gotten the attention it deserved because it occurred during a busy time. But this past spring, uh, the former CENTCON commander, General McKenzie, said the words that needed to be said because there had been great obfuscation about what did Joe Biden know before he pulled the plug? Did anyone say, hey, don't give up Bagram? Did anyone say leave 2,500 troops behind? And General McKenzie, uh, to his great credit, said said what needed to be said, which is, we told the president, don't go below 2,500 troops. Don't give up Bagram. I know we were heard. And the end is what it was, meaning that the president just turned down the advice of his best commanders. Um, the Much of the media coverage has ignored that pretty remarkable 
statement from the top commander that he wasn't listened to, that the military chiefs weren't listened to. Your thoughts on that uh, failure to listen to the military leadership? Why is that? That I've, I've noticed that. And you get little dribs and drabs of kind of the rest of the story that really happened. And I haven't seen it widely reported. You know, well, heck, I'll go there. The one six stuff. I mean, I'm not a, uh, absolutely horrified by that whole thing. But there have been like, you know, thousands and thousands of gallons of inks, ink written on that down to the down to the nanosecond and half of it's still wrong. I mean, I'm like, is somebody going to do it right ever? I hope you do. But we talk about, but then we lose this war, right? We lose this war with all this human loss on their side and our side, and nobody's being held accountable for it. And that to me is just like the ultimate disgrace and kind of where we are right now is that someone, I want someone to stand up and go, you know, I'll accept responsibility for what happened out there. And that's the way I was raised when I was brought up in the military. And I haven't seen that yet. And that's the one that really causes problems in the ranks too, because, you know, it's that whole cliche about do as I say, not as I do. No, that's not the, that's not the military ethic. It's do as I say, do as I do. And I'm not seeing that right now. And I'm really bothered by that. That I think is more troubling than the fact that we lost the war. Think bad things happen, but you know, somebody needs, there has to be accountability. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And, and the failure to learn from this will only destined another generation to make the same mistake again. I know you wanted those after action reports out thus far. They, they seem to have been tied up with a little bit of politics, but you get a sense, the politics aside, the political leaders getting interfering, the, the day, the, 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 the real day-to-day people in the Pentagon, they've done that, that deep reflection to try to make sure we don't make this mistake. That says something about the day-to-day people of the Pentagon, doesn't it? I think it really does. And you know, there's there's this idea that the military is becoming politicized, and we were accused of that, which there's nothing further from the truth. I see what's going I see what's going on right now, and I'm really, really concerned. And it's not being widely reported. I know the secretary, former secretaries of defense and all these wrote some I, I, I they basically it was a very nice op-ed that described civil military relations, but there wasn't a so what on it. They never called anybody out. But I just want to highlight that the people the, the people that do the work over there at the Pentagon and down in our geographic component commanders across the world, I mean, it's just remarkable. You know what? They just serve whoever is in charge at the time with dignity and respect and in, in accordance with the Constitution. Everybody, even even civilians, swear an oath to the Constitution when they take a job in, in the United States government. And I thank you for highlighting that, John, that they're just over there trying to do the right thing. But it's really important. It's really important that we capture these things. Everything, the after-action system is is really distinctive for the United States military and the Department of Defense. And they really need to get that thing out because that's how people learn. And that's where people have a voice. And that's it's it's history. And it's really, really important because you don't want to make the same mistakes again. 
Yeah, we don't. And uh, we're in danger if they if they suffocate those reports for too long, they're in danger that we'll, we'll not learn all the lessons that were meant to be learned. I want to ask one last question because it's been a tumultuous uh, 24 to 48 hours in um, <coughs> excuse me, Great Britain. Uh, first, uh, an ascension of prime minister. Uh, Boris Johnson uh, resigns. Uh, Liz Truss comes in. Uh, and then uh, within 48 hours of that, the queen, the longest reigning monarch in British history, Queen Elizabeth II, dies a moment of transition uh, in that country, one of our great allies. What are you thinking about, first about the Queen's legacy and to the opportunity now of a new generation of leaders coming up in that great country? I wanted to ask you about that, but I knew uh, we were going to talk about Afghanistan and I didn't want to like uh, hijack your show because I wanted to start <laughs> out with, with, I actually wanted to talk about that right up front, but I thought it might be Somewhat not disrespectful, but you know, I really wanted to highlight and, and and highlight the sacrifices made by the families of those that are lost. But I was thinking about the Queen, and you know, you really that Greatest Generation Tom Brokaw talked about. And, you know, frankly, some of the some people now are like, oh, let's not talk about the Greatest Generation. That was hyperbolic. No, no, it wasn't. And she represented that generation. And the fact. Oh my gosh, isn't it? It's it's just an end of an era, and I'm a little sad to tell you the truth, you know, because we compare those gigantic leaders like her, and from that era where there was an existential struggle and they how they carried themselves with dignity and respect and composure and discipline, and now to see the nonsense that happens now over just such silly things, John, and so. I got to tell you though, I'm not going to be down. Um, there, there's hope, and in dark times, great people always step forward. That's the beauty of our our country, and I think that's the beauty of the uh, United Kingdom too. But it it is a sad day. Yeah, no, there's no doubt, and you're right that she she was she, that resolve that you know I when I think of the Queen and my met I interviewed a lot of people about her over the years. She had a resolve, which is we're going to fix things. We're going to still hold steady. We don't have to bend. Goodness will prevail when you when you put your best effort forward, and that that was the resolve of her entire generation. All the World War II great vets we had here, and um, a little bit of that history fades with her passing as one of the last great leaders from that from that era. Uh, Mr. Secretary, just before we go, uh, you are a solutions guy. You're an ideas guy. I love that about you. And I know you've been thinking about uh, the state of the Pentagon and how do we get it to a, a different uh, position. Recruitment's down. More, more. There seems to be more focus on social engineering than the some of the strategic military objectives we ha- and challenges we have with China, Russia. Um, what are some of the things that, as Republicans, potentially have an opportunity to take control of at least one chamber of Congress next year, that solution makers should be thinking about to get this Pentagon where it wants to be for the next generation of war fighting? Yep, and we're still fight refighting the Cold War with these gold plated, platinum plated weapon systems that will not survive in uh, in the next, uh, if we ever, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, let's make it as far out as we possibly can so we have time to repair, but we have to retool uh, our entire national security architecture. And I'll tell you where it starts and I'm gonna yell that, but man, we got it. We got to look at that budget and I'll tell you what, John, until they can do a clean accounting, uh, like any business does or any household does where they can tell us what they're spending. I wouldn't give them, I, I cut their budget dramatically. And there's another thing. When you have so much money, we're paying 1.25 trillion, over a trillion dollars in national security. You know, that's about 50% of, uh, 
of the available budget dollars. Uh, I think we got to really rethink whether, and let's be honest, we got two great oceans. There's no existential threat. The Chinese absolutely uh, we're in competition with them, but uh, I think we need to think about how we compete with them. And I think they're laughing all the way to the bank as we continue to spend all this money on these weapon systems that aren't going to be effective. And we need to think about how we're going to compete with them. We, and here, back to your point, though, you made earlier, we got great people that are really, really smart, and we need to free them from the constraints that they're currently operating under because the forces of the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about, they're really, really strong. And uh, so I could go on all day, but hey, I'll give you a <laughs> plug. You know, I, you know I've got a book coming out. Soldier Secretary. John, that thing was stuck over at the Pentagon. I thought we were going to have to sue him. It looks like it's going to be freed soon. Oh, which that's is great huge. news. Uh, and then uh, I've got 10 recommendations in there, and I kind of gave you one of them already. But, uh, yeah, I think this is really important. American people need to pay attention to this because we just can't keep throwing money at a problem without some sort of strategy or plan. So thank you for making Thanks for making sure that we recognize this and people start talking about it. Uh, listen, what you what you do, I'm so excited for this book. It's, I think due out in February, right? That's the current uh, arc for it. Uh, it's going to be one of the great ideas book. It, it, it's, it's, I know what it's going to do. It's going to have that incredible insight and inside stories that make you know, your storytelling interesting, but it really has solutions. You, you are one of the, the big idea thinkers in a, in a place that's so uh, wedded to status quo. And I can't wait. I think this is going to be an extraordinary disruptive moment uh, in the book. So folks, if you haven't done this already, go do what I just did a few months ago. Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, Books & Mail, wherever you buy your books. Reserve a copy now of the book Soldier Secretary. It is Secretary Miller's uh, masterpiece. It's going to come out in February. We're all going to be thinking about the future of the world over these next few months as the Russia war wages on. China continues to be aggressive. This book is going to be a must read. It's it might, the, probably the only book I'm looking forward to uh, the most in the in the next uh, six months. So go uh, get a copy now, get a hardcover, get an ebook, whatever you like, but get in line because this is going to be a must read if you're concerned about the future of the country. And Mr. Secretary, before we go, I just want to thank you for all you do for your country, your service in uniform, your service in civilian life, your innovation and disruptive thinking uh, in, in all the places you serve, the counterterrorism role, the Pentagon. Uh, when America is down on certain days and we feel down on ourselves, we have to keep reminding ourselves that this country produces incredible Americans like you, and that should put a smile on our face. John, you're too kind, and I'm really unworthy, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, you, you motivate me. I know otherwise. <laughs> I was just so I was just so honored to be able to serve my country for thirty something years, and I just want to keep doing it in any way I can. And thank you for what you're doing and making these issues public, and so we talk about them. Yeah, it's an important weekend for us to get back in touch with a little bit of history and never forget and start to build that next generation of good security. Um, policy and uh, spending. So, sir, it's an honor to have you on. I hope you enjoy this solemn weekend. We'll all be thinking about the loved ones lost over the last 20 years, 21 years, but um, we sure appreciate your time and your and your thoughtful uh, leadership, your thought leadership that we need so badly in this country right now. So thanks again. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, my great colleague from Just the News, Andrew Davies from London, on the legacy of Queen Elizabeth II. 
All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.US slash Just News. That's AMAC.US forward slash Just News. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. We're still absorbing the extraordinary change in royalty that's ongoing in Britain today. King Charles III taking the throne while the country mourns its long monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, I couldn't think of a better person. You've seen his byline on Just the News many times. An outstanding journalist from Britain joining us right now, Andrew Davies. Andrew, what an honor to have you on the show. (laughs) Hello, John. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. So you've been able to eyewitness uh, the, the transition, the, the, the end of the Queen Elizabeth II era. Your initial thoughts about just what's unfolded over the last 24 to 36 hours? Well, shock is, is the first thing, because, of course, for pretty much all of us, she's always been the queen. She's always been there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very sad moment. I think, obviously, for her family, our nation, and I think the whole world is, you know, will not see her like again. Yeah, she does seem to be so unique. And her commitment to service, I mean, one of the things uh, from her earliest days as a teenager when her first public limelight began uh, in, the, in the shadows of World War II, she really did have this commitment to service. She didn't see herself as some entitled royal. She, enti- she saw herself and portrayed herself uh, as someone who really was committed to 
public service, kind of unique in an era today where we have so many people that just feel entitled by whatever their privileges are supposed to be. She really is a vestige of an era about to gone by, I guess, a pass by, right? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, as, as you mentioned, as, as a teenager, she persuaded her father to uh, to join the, uh, uh, was the, uh, uh, the Auxiliary Territorial Service, or the ATS, as it was known, where she, you know, she learned to drive and service the lorry. She was a mechanic. I mean, that was <laughs> quite unusual. A princess who was a mechanic, yes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, and yeah, that sense of duty, I think you've mentioned that, um, service, loyalty, all of those things she embodied. Um, and, um, you know, it's, I mean, we, yeah, I mentioned shock because of course, just three days ago, she officially appointed Liz Truss as the new prime minister and she looked as radiant as ever. So, uh, and actually, um, you know, uh, Liz Truss has uh, described her as one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known. And Boris Johnson called her Elizabeth the Great in his inimitable style. Um, but I think, yeah, apart from everything else, she, she was a link to the wartime generation, that, that very special generation. Uh, and she embodied that spirit, I think, throughout her whole life, you know, while society was changing all around her. And uh, you've probably heard it, but it, uh, a radio broadcast she made on her 21st birthday. Yes, from uh, South from Africa, Cape right? Cape, uh, Cape Town? Yes, yeah, South Africa. Yeah. It was really kind of like her manifesto for life. And I don't know if I could just share just a little bit of it, but she said, uh, quote, I, I, well, uh, I declare before you my whole life, whether it be long or short, of course it was long, uh, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. But I shall not have the strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join in it with me, as I now invite you to do. God help me to make good my vow and God bless all of you are willing to share in it. And then uh, years later, actually, on, on her, uh, during the Silver Jubilee, she said, although that vow was made, uh, quote, in my salad days when I was green in judgment, I do not regret or retract one word of it. Wow. Yeah, those are powerful words. Uh, powerful, very yeah. powerful. And, I, you know, some people say the words because someone wrote the script for them, but they seem to have been truly internalized by her. This really is the sort of person she was. Her father actually was going to exempt her from military service, and she she refused to let that happen. And I, <laughs> it's really striking to me because I think today so many people try to take the easy easy way out. She she didn't want the easy way out. She wanted to be right there with the everyday uh, commoners of, of Great Britain. Um, one of the things that uh, she doesn't get much credit for, but I think is a, a very important part of her legacy, she understood from World War II through the Cold War, through the war on terror, and even up until this day with uh, Ukraine and Russia, that the United States and Great Britain had to stay aligned, that they had to be together in the same foxhole. Her commitment and yeah. her respect for America, I think, really helped shape an entire generation of success in the West. Is that, is that how people view it in Great Britain as well? Oh, I think so. I think so. And uh, in fact, the only U.S. president she didn't meet was uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. And uh, no one seems to know why, but the meeting never came about. But she met 13 out of the last 14 U.S. presidents. So obviously, that relationship was very, very important. Yeah. 
Amazing. Uh, uh, she's also she was also the first British monarch to address the U.S. Congress uh, in 1991. That's right. In fact, um, I had just gotten to Washington. I was assigned as a young AP reporter to cover that. So really, it's one of my very first assignments. It was that, and then I did uh, the Clarence Thomas wow. hearings right after. What a what a way to get introduced to Washington. Yeah, but, you, but you're right. It's a historical it's, moment. It was an amazing moment to watch, and the adoration was real. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, amazing. Um, yes. Gosh, well, and of course, uh, you know, I mean, there's many accomplishments she had, but um, the transition from empire to commonwealth, you know, she played a leading role in that. And and the commonwealth now, I mean, it's huge. It's, uh, I think when, when she came to the throne, there were, yeah, eight nations, but um, at the moment, there are 56 sovereign states with a combined population of 2.4 million, which is a third of the world's population. And so, you know, many people say, oh, you know, Britain's colonial past, but she was all about the future. And, you know, there's this uh, enormous gathering of people and um, she wanted to find a way of, you know, harnessing that, keeping that and making something good of it, which is, I think, you know, the Commonwealth has proven. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Um uh, King Charles uh, ascends to the throne as I think the oldest monarch in British history, seventy-three to start the job, <laughs> but plenty, possible. plenty of on-the-job training. Uh, how does uh, his country look to to him at this moment? Uh, there's all the Diana stuff, the Camilla stuff. We know all that, but it seems at this moment that he got a very warm reception uh, today at Buckingham Palace. And uh, I just curious if uh, is this a transitional moment for him, not only in title but in the relationship he enjoys with his, his country? I mean, Prince Charles is an incredible man. Uh, his accomplishments are, are you know, uh, I mean, people know him, uh, of course, you know, there was that incident. Um, but uh, in terms of service, he's, he's, he's very much followed in that. Uh, oh, absolutely. Also, you know, the British, British love, uh, they love the monarchy. It's, it's kind of, because, you know, it's crazy, you know, politicians come and go, but, but this sort of, and that was the thing. Actually, they stopped using the word monarch and they became known as the royal family. And that's an important thing because monarchy sounds I don't know, a bit abstract, a bit remote. But the royal family, it's, and of course, you know, the Queen and uh, Prince Philip embodied that. So, so, you know, it's sort of a constant thing uh, that goes on in life. So life is changing so fast at the moment. So to have those institutions, it, it's sort of, it's kind of like the bedrock, really. It's, it's, a, it's a funny sort of thing. And everybody identifies with it, even though, I mean, they're worlds apart in some ways, but they're not because they're so approachable. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he will, he will find uh, you know, the people warm to him. Yeah, it's funny. He's been trained his whole life for this job, and yet he carved his own path and found his own interests, whether it's climate change or charitable work, uh, policy work. Uh, so he brings a really substantive portfolio from his past into being the king now. What will the next few weeks of transition be like? Because there's a double transition going on in the country, right? You've got a brand new prime minister, Liz Truss, and a brand new monarch. Pretty rare moment in any country's history. What should we be looking for in that transition? Well, I mean, the country faces, you know, incredible challenges. Uh, Cost of living crisis, fuel, energy. Uh, I mean, uh, there's also industrial unrest and, you know, all those sorts of things. And I think it was Keir Starmer, he just said, 
that uh, Labour leaders that, you know, at a time when we need, I'm just paraphrasing, uh, you know, it's actually a time when we need sort of continuity. Uh, you know, the Queen would be needed more than ever. So her losses fell, you know, strongly. Uh, and that's what Charles has to do. He has to, um, together with a new prime minister, uh, carry carry the country forward. Uh, it's a big challenge. Yeah. And the economy is clearly uh, one of the overriding issues, but the, the backdrop of war in Europe also seems to be really significant. It seems like Liz Truss will be pretty aligned to the path that Boris Johnson kept Great Britain on, kept the West on. Where do you think King Charles will be on the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict? Well, as you know, the, the monarchs stay out of day-to-day politics. Right. You know, they, they do. They, they always do. So, uh, in fact, by going into, into climate change, uh, initially, of course, he was always concerned about the environment, as, as does his uh, father. And um, But, you know, climate change itself is becoming a political issue because, you know, it involves huge things, transition from fossil fuels to renewables, if that's possible. Uh, and uh, so, so that's probably something which is, you know, could be concerning that uh, that does seem to be stepping into a, a sort of political issue and supporting governments that go along with that idea and, or not. So that's something he probably has to, you know, uh, be careful about. The, 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 the uh, invasion of uh, Ukraine, well, he, he won't get involved in that. I mean, they just never do. But that is something which will clearly face Liz Trust. And, you know, I have my own feelings about that, but those are my own feelings. Um, it's, it's, she's got to be very careful that we don't get an escalation. That's, you know, where is it going? That's, that's the, the, the question. Um, and we're already seeing, you know, high prices for, for gas. And I, I don't know what they were thinking when they started this, but I don't think they really thought through the consequences and, and maybe it's time they do. Yeah, no, it really, it really is pretty remarkable. Um, I know at some point the Queen visited Russia, uh, and I think she she weighed in a little bit on the on the Ukraine crisis earlier this year, just with some some general comments. But um, if you're in Europe and you're seeing what's going on right now, I mean, everybody seems to have a sense that this is only a couple of cooks away from a more larger continental um, conflict. Um, where are the people of Great Britain with everything else they have on their plate, uh, the end of the pandemic and all of that, the economy, uh, energy crisis, uh, do they have the same hesitation and concern of not letting this spiral into a, a full-fledged continental war? Well, uh, that would be the last thing, <laughs> the last thing that anybody would want. Uh, I, I just think, I mean, you know, obviously when they see images of uh, people suffering uh, you know, all, all the death and, and, the, and the misery. Obviously, people are affected by that. But I don't think, I mean, also the way the media presented it is sort of very black and white, but there are serious nuances. And, and uh, I mean, I did actually write to the uh, Ministry of Defence for clarification on what Britain's position was. And, um, uh, you know, they, they say um, there is a hotline with the uh, with Russia, so so we we hope that uh, you know that's uh, uh, you know uh, being considered. 
Yeah, it's a remarkable time. And the final days of the Queen were seemed to be spent like the beginning of her royal tenure. She always was working. It was sort of matter of fact. And uh, it's a remarkable that she could be well enough on Monday and Tuesday to accept Liz Truss and by Thursday pass away. It seems like it was such a sudden turn. Uh, but it's probably the way, knowing her, that she would have liked it. She didn't like a lot of fuss or uh, uh, about herself. She, she uh, really had this remarkable side to her. Your, your parting thoughts about um, what future generations will look back at, at the Queen's reign and, and learn from it or take from it? Well, I, I hope she'll be a, an example for, for generations to come. Um, if I could, um, uh, you know, for all of us, I mean, you know, Christmas lunch, switching on the TV for the for the for the sort of Queen's speech at three o'clock. I mean, that was just a, a way of life for so many p- people in this country. Oh, that's a great uh, those, point. Those broadcasts actually actually went back to 1932, so she didn't start them. It was King George V, the and they were radio uh, broadcasts. But uh, when she gave her first televised Christmas broadcast in 1957, she told the nation, and if I can just end this quote, uh, I cannot lead you into battle. I do not give you laws or administer justice, but I can do something else. I can give you my heart, my devotion to these old islands and to all the peoples of the Brotherhood of Nations. Wow. Mm-hmm. Those are powerful words. Yeah, powerful words from a powerful lady. Yeah, well, uh, history, I believe, will look remarkably fondly upon her, not only for her values and her persona, but for, I think, her unrelenting commitment to public service. She she may have been royal, but at heart, she was just a public servant. And I think that um, yeah, it's a remarkable thing. Well, Andrew, we are so blessed to have you write for us. You do such great work for us. And getting mm-hmm. you to weigh in on this very important story has been a, a real opportunity, great opportunity for us. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, John. Take care. All right, you as well. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in all weekend. We're going to have Saturday and Sunday coverage on Saturday. Mark Morgan and Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, two experts on the border, are going to join us. We're going to talk about that border and the open holes that are on there and the threat that it poses. And then on Sunday, a very special 9-11 special, a one-hour special. Rudy Giuliani, Bernie Carrick, two heroes of 9-11, former mayor and NYPD commissioner, We've got Frank Sillers, the man who created the Tunnels to Towers Foundation, one of the most important charities in the world, 
and to honor his brave firefighter brother who perished in the towers. Uh, we've got some uh, great guests top to bottom. You will not be disappointed, including former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf, who talks about our posture on this, the 21st anniversary of the most bloody, deadly, lethal terrorist attack in American history. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back Saturday and Sunday. Don't miss those editions. Monday, we'll be back to normal programming. Until then, God bless you. And please, on this, the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 tax, never let our country forget. Do not forget. We will not forget. That is not just a motto. It is a mission. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you on tomorrow. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.